You're just going into the cuff and just sweeping it backwards and forwards. And you're seeing whether that triggers any, any, any bleeding because that's a sign of inflammation. Welcome to Group Function, where the Pro True Serrati work together to find good solutions to worthy problems in dentistry with your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Producerati. I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome to this group function. Now, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. It's great to have you. Uh, a group function is where we work together as a team to find out a solution to a common problem. Uh, and the problem I'm presenting today, and I'm hoping to get a good answer from Pab today, is can you probe around implants? And what I mean by that is um, I was fed a lie or a semi-lie at dental school. Like someone told me, I don't know who it was, but if you use a metal probe, to uh, do a periodontal probing chart of, a, of an implant, you will scratch that implant and therefore that will harbor bacteria and therefore you should not be probing around implants. So for the longest time, I, I didn't check the periodontal health of implants. I know it sounds really bad, but as a GDP who doesn't place implants, not much to do with implants, I thought that was the right thing to do. I thought I was doing uh, less harm by not inserting my Williams or WHO or CPITN probe um, in the sulcus to check for the periodontal health because I didn't want to scratch the implant. I was scared of scratching the implant, if you like. So I was expecting this to be a really quick group function and I thought Pav would say, yeah, you totally can, it's all good. But Pav being Pav and the amazing guy he is, not only does he give us a, a really good definitive answer at the end, but he talks about the rationale of uh, what the concerns may be and how you need to actually look a little bit deeper than can you probe or can you not because there's some anatomical variation. So I'm not gonna uh, spoil it for you. Uh, let's join this group function with Dr. Pav Kaira. That man again, Pav Kaira, Dr. Pav Kaira. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Uh, how are you? I'm very good, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, great. So the, it, it's Pav from the Dental Implant Podcast, uh, and I'm going to just pick your brains. You need to teach us something today, Pav. You need to speak to me like I'm five years old, because uh, this the, the following questions I'm going to ask you on this group function today uh, is very much like basic things. Like you're probably going to laugh at me, like Jazz, why are you asking me these, these, these basic questions? But I'm sure you, with the referring dentists that you've met and, and your colleagues, like. When it comes to implants, we come out of dental school, like a lot of other topics, and we're like, where do we even begin? So just before we dive into that, just remind everyone who people who perhaps didn't listen to our episode on finding your niche. I think it was episode 76 from memory. Uh, do listen to finding your niche. It's, it's a cool one where we discover what is like your calling in dentistry. Uh, so do check that one out. But just remind us, what is it that you do other than these amazing transformations that you post on our Telegram group? So um, I, I thank you very much for having me on, Jazz. I'm going to be I'm going to be cheeky and just upload this as the next Dental Implant Podcast episode as well, do even it. though you're recording it. So. <laughs> We have the same video editor, so <laughs> it's an easy episode for me. Um, firstly, I, I, I just wanted to say that there's no such thing as a, as a silly question. This is something that I learned really quite early on. Either you know or you don't know. It's really that simple. And I think anybody who doesn't know who's asking questions that at that point that then shouldn't they shouldn't feel embarrassed or anything along those lines. So um, if if I am being overly complicated with, with with my answers, please please feel free to to remind me because obviously uh, for me this is this is fairly straightforward stuff. And you know when I get excited about implants, that's it. The mouth starts. Okay, we, we all know we all know that. Okay, you're going to start talking about the at the cellular level, biological level. Uh, no, we're going to go way simpler than that today. I know the kind of stuff that you talk about. You love that. You absolutely love that, and that's amazing to see. Though your passion is so yeah. evident. 
I'm, I'm, but I'm going to make it really tangible for you guys as well. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I graduated in 2002. Um, I did loads of different things. Uh, you know, I, I ended up getting bored quite quickly. It was one point I was doing endo, full smile makeovers. Uh, and ironically, I just didn't like surgery. I didn't like implants. And then I ended up getting into implants and I was like, oh, actually, I really love this a lot. Um, I'm now at a position where I am... Uh, fortunate to be at Evo Dental four days a week and I mentor other dentists and I still work at another practice one day a week as well and I place approximately 1,800 to 2,000 implants a year so that's wow. obviously quite a big number um, and uh, yeah you, you know when you when you place big numbers you, you you learn to prevent a lot of mistakes but you still see them you know anybody turns around and says to you have a hundred percent success rate. This is something that I've alluded to before. They are either lying or they're only placing one or two implants per year. Because if you place one or two implants mm -hmm. per year, it's quite easy to have a hundred percent success rate. So, um, uh, so yeah. I mean, that's just a little bit about myself. I do the, the surgical aspects of it. I also uh, undertake the the, the the restorative as well because you can't separate them. You know, it's uh, it's mm -hmm. they're, they're intrinsically linked together. So that you know, that, that's just that's just a little bit about me. Amazing. I mean, it's crazy that number you mentioned. You probably do more implants uh, than I do checkups. You probably do more implants than I do composites. You do uh, you do more implants than I do any procedure. That's that's pretty uh, spectacular. So you're totally the right man for this. So, question number one of three in this group function is: um, Can I probe that implant? Now, to give you some uh, background behind this question, it's. Um, Something that you may have heard before. Now, I don't know whether it is a myth or not, and I think it is, but let's just find out. The whole thing about if you use a metal, like a, a who probe or a CPITN, a metal probe on an implant, you will scratch the implant, which will then harbor bacteria, and there'll be a never-ending spiral of uh, peri-implantitis in the future. And therefore, uh, dentists all over the world, I'm sure they are, I'm sure they are, are um, doing their BP, and they skip the implant, and they carry on. Um, tell us about this. So the question, as I understand it, is can you probe around implants? Um, can you probe with a metal probe around implant or is it a myth that you yeah, you shouldn't, that you can't? Uh, or, or just tell us generally about how to check the periodontal health of an implant in a safe way. Okay. <laughs> Do you want me to be really unhelpful now? Because uh, the answer oh, to no. that is... no! No! You know what I'm like. It's one of those. Okay. So the answer, to your, the answer to your question is, yes, you can, and no, you can't at the uh, same time. I'm going to expand on that right okay. now, okay? Sure. So... Um, I think we need to take half a step back and understand what's happening a little bit, okay? So uh, when you receive the final outcome of a, of, of, of a let, let's just say restored single implant crown, okay? So there's a number of ways that it can be done. Um, the, the way to get the best outcome isn't done very often because it's more time consuming, it's more difficult to do, okay? So the kind of like the standard way that most people out there do it, which is kind of accepted, is you have quite a a, a narrow implant in relation to your in relation to your ridge, which is same size, same height as the um, as, as as the alveolar crest. And then radiographically, it looks like a lollipop, tomato on a stick is what it's called. So you get this, <laughs> you get this sudden, you get this sudden, really, really extreme, what we call it, emergence profile. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, 
So probing around implants is different to probing around teeth, okay? Because when you're probing around teeth, you're immediately going into the periodontal ligament. If you imagine you've mm -hmm. got this really wide implant, uh, sorry, really narrow implant or a really wide crown, if you're probing straight down the side, you're not actually going to do anything. You almost want to be at 90 mm. degrees. And it ends up being really mm. difficult to do, okay? So in those instances, when you've got an internal connection, the implant actually needs to be deeper so you've got running room to have a natural emergence, but then you need to condition the soft tissue with a, instead of just a standard healing abutment out of the packet, you can make custom healing abutments so you get a really nice smooth transition, okay? Now, mm -hmm. the reason why that is important is because when you've got a very acute and sudden um, uh, emergence angle, a, it becomes virtually impossible to probe to the, uh, to, to the neck of the implant, but it actually mm -hmm. alters the, bio, uh, the, the, the bioflora, the biofilm next to the implant neck itself unfavorably. It becomes anaerobic as opposed to uh, aerobic, mm -hmm. okay? So you've actually snookered yourself because what you've done is you've created a situation where you need to probe, but it's actually difficult to probe, okay? Um, so the, the, the other way of doing it is once, you, once you've, once you've placed your implant deep enough, or the way that I do it is that I use external hex and I use quite wide implants because then well, it's I, much I'm going to stop you there, Pav, only, be only because uh, and I think everyone's like listening, like, wow, they're like, they're like gripped by this because this is um, yeah. very interesting in terms of the different connections and how you yeah. need to have that, you know, that runway room to get the, uh, the best emergence profile. But like if I'm a GDP, and, uh, which I am, uh, and I see a patient yeah. and the implant was split, and I don't place implants, so a uh, patient comes in, they've got an implant, um, I'm not going to pause and say, okay, what kind of connection is this? And now I will, because it's, it's a great yeah. point you raise. Now I'll look at the radiograph and I'll see, okay, is this a lollipop or is this not a lollipop? Uh, and then, but, uh, you know, what, what, am I gonna, what am I going to do? Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. Okay, fine. That's exactly the point that I was getting to. So the first thing that you do is you take a radiograph, okay? If it looks like a lollipop, there's not really much point in trying to do it because the angles that you've got to get to, the pressures that you've got to apply, you're not really going to be able to probe to, probe to the got neck it. of the implant, okay? Of now, course. it is my opinion that, you know, if you can get to the neck of the implant, you should be probing to the, ne uh, to the neck of the implant, okay? So... You you, do, you don't want to do it too uh, uh, too aggressively. It should just be very gentle pressure, okay? Um, and what you're looking for is you're looking for the same thing as what you would do uh, when you're when you have a tooth. Is there suppuration? Is there bleeding? Okay, not so much about the depth of the probing itself. Okay, because mm. you don't have a true periodontal attachment. It's like a long junctional epithelium, so you apply much lighter pressure. You're automatically going to have pseudo pockets going uh, going deeper. But the question is, is it bleeding? Is is there suppuration? And as I said, is if you've got this lollipop uh, type appearance, so you've got this skinny implant 
all of a sudden really, really uh, big crown on top, I don't think you can probe those uh, uh, pretty well. So why bother disturbing? Is it worth still probing just to check the if there's bleeding or separation? So, no, I mean, the, 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 the test that you can do in that area is you look at your radiograph to see, A, uh, is, is there any bone loss around the threads? We're going to come back onto that in a minute because I know that's one of the topics, okay? The next really, really, really good test is just with a finger, just, just push the, the, the gingiva either side. Because if you push mm. the gingiva either side and you see suppuration coming out from one side, that's a problem. Make sense? I see. So you're kind of like milking the implant. Yeah, massage, massage. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so if, if, if you're massaging the gingiva either side and you've got bleeding or you've got pus coming out without even picking up a probe, that's a problem. That's absolutely a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's say, you, you, let's say you're looking at the radiograph and you get this nice transition from the implant to the crown. It just, it just looks like nice and smooth. Yeah, pick up a probe. It's not a problem. Just don't be heavy-handed with it. So what you're not trying to do is you're not trying to sound down to the neck of the implant or to bone. All you're doing is you're just going kind of like into the cuff a little bit. You're just going into the cuff and just sweeping it backwards and forwards. And you're seeing whether that triggers any any uh, any bleeding because that's a sign of inflammation. So it's not so much probing as you're just seeing whether it triggers a, a, an inflammatory response. That's all that it is. But you, what you will notice as well is... Um, is particularly with implants, is you get this little, little purpley band around the neck of the implant when in early stages of of inflammation. So, uh, and 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 in those instances, when you're looking at those purpley bands, you should immediately be thinking to yourself, something may not be quite right here. Okay, mm-hmm. so I have no problems with, uh, uh, with 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 people gently probing. If you could use a plastic probe, that's better. You've got a metal probe. You know, there's there's not too much data to to go in between because it swings and roundabouts. If you don't probe, you don't know what the problem is. If you do probe, but you probe too hard, you're going to scratch the scratch things. You're unlikely to get to the neck of the implant, or you shouldn't be able to get to the neck of the implant um i think it also comes into play what restorative material has been used as well okay so without going too much into it there is a very good researcher called thomas linkovicious he has done um a fantastic textbook called zero bone loss concepts he teaches on it and the restorative protocol that he uses highly polished zirconia on the fit surface against the soft tissue itself and when you do that, and when you autoclave it and clean it properly, you actually get soft tissue adhesion to the neck of the implant, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So allow me to break this down a little bit more. I know we're going a bit more advanced, sure. but it's actually really relevant for what we're talking about. He yeah. did one study where he did a um, where he did a, a restored single implant crowns, okay, using zirconia. On half of the fit surface against the soft tissue, he used his zero bone loss concepts, which is highly polished, no glaze, okay? On the other half of the same implant, he used glaze over the surface, and he fit it. And six months later, he probed around that implant, okay? The average probing depth of the polished area was one to two millimeters. The average probing depth around the glazed area was two to four millimeters. Wow. You can actually get adhesion of the soft tissue onto the surface of an implant if you do it properly. 
So I think it's also important to know what material has been used, okay? Because if it's a PFM, you're not going to get that adhesion. You need to be much more gentle with your probing technique. The other thing that you can do as well is if you're going around is as you put the probe in, you take it out and you wipe the probe clean with a clean gauze. So you're not transferring bacteria from one position of an implant to another. Wow. Okay. But that is a dedication. Yeah, that's dedication. But, you know, that, that's something that I heard. But then I thought, to the, you know, then I was thinking to myself, you know, you're talking about not transferring bacteria from one part to the, of an implant to the other. It's still sat underneath the implant. It's still a problem, yeah. right? So it's, uh, and this is why I'm saying that, that there's no there's no 100% correct answer. But I think what you need to do is you need to look at the radiograph and make an appropriate decision. If you see that lollipop on a stick, you're not going to get to the neck. Forget about it. If it looks like a really nice, what we call emergence profile, that really nice soft flowing type, type thing, then you think to yourself, yeah, I'll gently probe this. And to be honest is if I have um, uh, like my own uh, implant crowns now, the zirconia ones, I'm less bothered about probing them because I know I'm going to get soft tissue adhesion. So I look at the adjacent teeth as well, right? So if the patient's mm. cleaning everything really, really, really well, you're unlikely to have a problem with the implant. So don't take the implant as a standalone thing. Look at everything else around it as well. Well, before we now come on to the, the radiograph, because you, you touched on that, and that was the next question about the, the thread exposure and what is a normal amount of bone loss. Before I get to that, I mean, when you find, if and when you find bleeding, uh, when you're doing the probing around implant, I think that lends itself to a diagnosis of peri-implant mucositis. And I believe pus would mean peri... I, I know it might not be a hard and fast rule, but pus usually, from what I've been taught and I've read, peri-implantitis. Um, should I be referring to someone who's more clever than me in implants every time I diagnose peri-implant mucositis, just bleeding, or just simple local measures, uh, improving OH is enough? Or do you think I should be actually sending him back to the dentist? Like peri-implantitis with pus, I definitely would be uh, not, I would not be ignoring that. Yeah, local measures. So improve the oral hygiene, um, explain to the patient what's going on, and just treat it like a perio case. So you, you monitor it over, over uh, and, and you reassess it over a number of months. Um, uh, and it is it is really important that the patient improves because the other issue that you have is is the crown cement retained and is it cement underneath that's causing this in which case no amount of oral mm. hygiene is actually going to do this and what the data shows is if you do a cement retained crown and you can't get rid of the cement the the cement may cause an issue seven to eight years later sometimes it's not straight away so you know a lot of people are doing well there's nothing wrong with cement retained crowns and you look at this you look at this paper and it goes oh yeah you know what after 3 years cement retained crowns have got no issues it's like yeah but the periimplant cementitis can be triggered 7 or 8 years after when you actually cemented it so i think it's important mm -hmm. to see whether there's a screw access in it if there's a screw access in it then you know it's screw retained if there's no screw access in it it just looks like a normal crown then it's cement retained and then we come back to the original issue that we spoke about is if you've got this lollipop type thing being able to get a probe in towards the neck of the implant to get rid of all of the cement never it's not going to happen there will there will 100 percent be cement there so when you have uh, just a little bit of local inflammation um by all means start um uh, start 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 local measures first really good oh there are some products um, called Blue M, okay? I think that there's a mouthwash, there's a gel. They actually work really nicely. They are oxygenating. They've got oxygen in it, and it, 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 okay. it alters okay. the, bio, uh, the biofilm for, uh, to be more favorable. And what you should notice is once you implement those measures, it should, it should maintain. Like with gingivitis, you may get the odd flare-up now and again, but you shouldn't have anything persistent. 
Perf, for me, your word is gospel. There's, it, you know, for me, you're the guy who, um, there's, you know, if you don't know something, it's not worth knowing when it comes to implants. So I, I, I will definitely look into that product for to help my uh, patients supportively. But on to question two now. There we have it, guys. Hope you enjoyed that group function. And can you probe that implant? The next one is going to ask about um, what is the normal amount of bone loss around an implant? So as a GDP, when I see a radiograph, a PA, uh, and I'm seeing a little bit of bone loss around an implant, should I be worried? I don't know what, at what point should I, I should be referring on to the person who placed the implant or someone who, a periodontist maybe. So that's the kind of uh, flavor I got. And the third question, which all will be covered in part two of this group function is, what do you do when you get an implant screw loosening? So as a GDP, if someone's in, uh, implant crown is loose, I now know what that is, a screw loosening. You can hear about what I used to think that was, but it's a screw loosening. Uh, and is it cool for me to just uh, enter the access cavity and just you know, finger tight it or, or tighten it to, to what I think sh it should be talked to? Is that is that a good thing to do as a GDP? Uh, well, you'll find out very soon, uh, either in a few days or in a week, uh, depending on my workload. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for supporting and listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll catch you in the next one.